everyone, it's Joel here. I just got off recording the podcast with Jerry Colonna, who is the author of Reboot, Leadership and the Art of Growing Up, and the founder of Reboot, the, the coaching agency. He does a lot of work with startup CEOs around the world, amongst others. And I, w- I wanted to share because I was deeply moved by our conversation I think you'll find that as you listen in. Like for me, the most important thing I want to articulate about this conversation was the the thing that Jerry embodied. And Jerry will describe it as as vocation, a sacred vocation. And I could feel that, and that opened up the space for us to cut through and go deep, and to have a deeply heartfelt conversation a truthful conversation, a moving conversation. And I um, I think as coaches, what else, what more could we ask for? So I'm very excited to be sharing this podcast with you. I might add a little bit more to this intro, but I wanted to capture it hot off the press and um, just share some of my, my, my thoughts here. So... And yes, I do have one more thought. I think there are a number of you who are listening to this podcast that aren't on our mailing list. And I want to invite you to consider doing that because if you like this podcast, then you will find out that there are, there's more content that we're releasing for coaches that don't, doesn't get put out on the podcast. I think you'll love it. You'll also hear about the online training programs that we put out which I think are just a huge resource for coaches. So just consider that. If you're not on the mailing list, head to our website, coachesrising.com, and sign up. So without further ado, here is Jerry Colonna. Jerry, so good to be with you today. How's things? Good to be with you. Things are good. Um, I look outside my window, and I notice that it's a little overcast, but uh, it's still warm. Here in Boulder, Colorado, I feel good in my body. I feel good in my heart. Mm. So things are good. That's the the land of blue skies. I hear. I had some friends, and they said Boulder, you know, has mm-hmm. like ten days where it's cloudy a year or something. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> these these clouds will be gone shortly. That's right. That's yeah. right. Cool. Yeah, it's um, kind of the opposite of the UK. We have three hundred yeah. days of sunshine a year. Yeah, and I'm I'm in Amsterdam, and I'm from the north oh, of England, which is just like yeah. So I'm, you know, it's just here. You, you don't see more than ten hours of blue sky the whole winter. The opposite. Um, yeah, I'm really I'm really excited to have you on today. I really enjoyed reading your book, Reboot: Leadership and the Art of Growing Up, and and just you know knowing the work you're doing, helping mm-hmm. leaders to develop and grow, and I really like your philosophy. So we're going to explore that today. And, um, uh, you know, so what I'd like to do first is just get a sense of like your journey into coaching. Could you just share a bit of just a, a brief bit of your history, like what, what led you into coaching and to this point today? Yeah. Sure. Um, what led me to coaching? Um, I think it was, uh, what happened was during the, uh, as you may recall, I'm a former investor and venture capitalist, 
And uh, in my late 30s, um, in hindsight now, I can see that I was entering a period of midlife re-examination of everything. Midway through the uh, journey of my life, I found myself lost in a dark wood, right? Mm -hmm. Dante. And uh, I walked away from the venture business, kind of befuddled, not really sure what I was going to do. Um, I entered a period of deep introspection. Um, my friends would refer to that period as my hermitage. Um, and I spent a lot of time reading. Um, I uh, started studying Buddhism. And along the way, uh, my uh, relationship with my psychoanalyst deepened, and I began going to psychoanalysis two or three times a week. And um, considered at the time uh, uh, actually um, studying psychoanalysis and becoming a therapist. And uh, along the way, I also considered becoming a monk, but, but that's a whole other story. Mm -hmm. um, and instead, uh, with some wise advice and guidance, decided that I needed to find a different path, a path that would sort of combine the aspects of me in a more direct and clear way. And then, as is often the case, um, uh, magic happens. And, and one day, this young man came to my office looking for advice and counsel, and he was looking to network, and he wanted a job as a lawyer in a startup firm and I said to him at one point well what made you become a lawyer you seem miserable and you're smiling because that's sort of a classic mm. coach-like <laughs> thing and I didn't know what I was doing and all of a sudden he just started crying and telling me about pleasing his father and it's like oh there's something onto this and so at that point a little voice in my head said you should be a coach and literally, it was like that. And uh, a sequence of events, I called a friend who was a coach, and she said to me, well, I've been waiting for this call. Of course, you should be a coach. And then I started looking at programs, and I ended up in a program called Coaching for Transformation from a group called Leadership That Works. Um, and uh, it fit me. And um, pretty much from... The first moment in which I set the intention, I know, I know that it can sound magical and coach-like hooey, mm. but the God's honest truth is the minute I signed up for a coaching class, someone reached out, a friend reached out and said, you know that thing we did in your office two weeks ago where you sketched out my life? Can I pay you to do that every week? <laughs> and I said, Oh, okay. Universe is sending, sending me a message. So, so I actually started coaching clients pretty much from day one in the coach training program, which of course is part of that process. And uh, that was uh, 14, 15 years ago. I know a lot of coaches listening would be quite envious of you, you know, <laughs> that somebody showed up like that immediately, you know, because there are a lot of coaches out there who, you know, finding clients is one of the biggest challenges. Yeah. And just before we continue, you know, that I'm interested in, you said like this voice said to be, you know, I want to be a coach. And oh, no, 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 no. The voice didn't say I want to be a coach. Yeah. Yeah. The voice said, you need to be a coach. Right. 
<laughs> what? So, so, so that I think is significant. Yeah. Like, yeah. what do you think that is? You know, on one level we could say it's a mystery and we get these, we get these kind of um, signals, you know, but what, what do you make of that? Um, I think it's the divine. Mm. You know, I, I am so comfortable in myself right now that I don't really give a shit if people think that I'm full of hooey magical stuff. Mm. It is the divine. It mm. is the essence of the word vocation. Vocare. Calling. Right. It's the calling. Yeah. And, and by the way, the calling doesn't come at you with, oh, hmm, maybe I should be, I don't know. It's like this. You need to coach. Yeah. No, who, me? No, I don't want to do that. You need to coach. No, no, no. You need to coach. It's insistent and incessant. Do, do you help your clients hear that voice because i you know i this isn't hooey to me i think this is one of the most significant areas of of leverage you know that that actually so much of what we're doing is driven by a sense of wanting to create safety or security Mm. control and actually we're not in control the way we think we are and actually there's something much bigger with an intelligence that we can tune into like this this vocation you talked about that once we do and begin, begin to tune into that, we can actually find a kind of relief. You know, I, I know it's not always easy. It's not saying things that we might want to hear, but there can be a kind of relief in that I, that I can actually trust that and go with mm-hmm. it, trust life. And I'm curious if you uh, find yourself helping your clients tune into that, that kind of that voice. If they're ready for that, if, or do they, are they skeptical? Do, they, do you go there with them? Oh, uh, many of them are skeptical. Many of them are terrified of the voice. Because the voice is like, take the card deck and play 52 pickup, which is what we do, right? Take all the cards and toss them up in the air. And now what do you do? Right? Um, do I help my clients do that? Uh, let me answer that question by saying that I, that I believe that the essence of coaching lay in helping the clients create the conditions for them to hear the voices that they have ignored. Mm-hmm. Our job isn't to actually, um, quote, help them hear the voice mm-hmm. as much as it is to clear the, the detritus. And that may be um, to help them see that not listening may be a protective move. It may be uh, the voice of a paternalistic figure in their life saying, um, yeah, but you're never going to make any money. Or it may be, um, uh, that's not a real job. Or it may be, who are you to think that you could do fill in the blank? Mm. All of those voices are voices of protection, even though they sound really harsh and critical. Mm. 
and um, our jobs, our job as coaches is to hold ourselves in a way that they get to do their work, which is to be still, to listen deeply, to ask of themselves deep, important inquiry questions, to face the answers that arise, and to possibly step into the next phase of their life. Um, what we do is sacred. What we do is actually links back to when it's done well. It links back to almost the shamanistic traditions mm. of millennia of human communities where we, ours is not to walk through the door. Our path as coaches is to point out the doors. As Adrian Rich in her beautiful poem, Prospective Immigrants, uh, please note, the door is just a door. It makes no promises. It's your choice whether or not you are going to walk through that door or listen to that voice. That's our job as a coach. So to circle back to your question, is that what I do? It is what I do when I am at my best. Mm. So I'm touched by, you know, your words and what you point out. And I wanted to name that, you know, I wanted to name that I can feel the invitation almost to the door here in our conversation right now. So I think that's important um, because thank you for you know, naming that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it's like, I get why you said like, you know, this voice said you should be a coach and you, you followed that, you know, and I can feel that here now, that sense of vocation being embodied. And I think that's important um, because, and I'm curious for you, what you think about this, this is why I'm asking or saying it, that um, this way of being, you know, like that, there's something I can feel is like fully landing, fully sitting inside of that sacredness mm. and owning it and, and, and having that be in like a, an, a call to the client that, uh, you know, beyond any technique and any nice questions we might ask this to me is the, is the thing, you know, this is, I, I, I want to know what you think about it. Yeah. Yeah. This is the thing. This is, you know, the late Doug Silsby in his beautiful book, um, the mindful coach laid out what I think is a brilliant assertion about presence based coaching. And uh, uh, ideally, I'll be building on that by saying that this is the thing. This is the moment. And I, I appreciate the fact that you felt the power of what we were saying in, in our brief interaction around that. Because in our engagement, what I think I was doing was being fully present not only to you, but to the question that you were putting to me. So in a sense, to myself. 
Now, I'll go further and I'll say, you know, one of the things that I think can be a real challenge is when we as coaches, in our anxiety, in our wish to be good performers, get so focused on meeting what we believe the client wants us to do, which is to tell them what they should do with their lives, that we lose connection to the presence, the power of staying present for ourselves. And what upsets me about that when I see it happening is that we are inadvertently asking our clients to do work that we ourselves are unwilling to do. And that, um, when parents do that to children, it's awful. When leaders do that to their colleagues, it's awful. When political leaders do that to nations, it's violent. And so we are called, when we've answered the call to be a coach, we are called to hold our seat and do our work. Hmm. And when I've shared this with other new coaches, they'll say, but that's hard. <laughs> and you're smiling. It's like, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Of course it's hard. Hmm. That's why it works. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm, I'm in such deep resonance with you, you know, about this capacity to, to hold our seat and to, to be a presence for our clients. And I just want to add, you know, I'm touched. You mentioned Doug, he was a coach to me, a mentor who oh. first uh, recognized the work we were doing at coaches rising uh, a decade ago. And yeah, you know, I feel his, presence here a bit now so yeah I'm touched that you mentioned him and yeah you know I'm, I'm touched by the synchronous the synchronicity of this meeting we just met but the the possibility of going right to the heart of something in a very short space of time if two souls are willing to you know just to to be authentic and um, to to acknowledge that sacred Yes. So, well, uh, let let me point out something that, let me name something that uh, I believe is true about that. Before we officially began this conversation, you and I were speaking, and you made a point to me that um, I asked you who who's in the audience, and you, you you made a point about transformational coaching, and then you sort of looked away, you looked off to your right, and you said not performance coaching. And that little assertion said to me, if you remember what I said to you, I said, oh, my people. Mm. That little assertion made me feel like I belong. Mm. And it made me feel um, that there was a kindredness between us, that we were uh, shoulder to shoulder in the work. 
And, um, and so when you asked the first question and you said, you know, in effect, tell me about how you became a coach. I could have given the rote answer. You know, if you remember when, when I was a kid, we had these 12 inch dolls, um, GI Joe dolls I played with and you'd pull a string in the back and they'd say, let's go get them. Right. Mm. I, I could have just pulled the string in my back and given you the recorded answer. Mm. But because of this, the way that you set things up, your presence, mm. I knew that um, my going into the true answer would have would be welcomed. Mm. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. You know, you're speaking to something very important to me, which is, um, I think it reflects in coaching too. And maybe, perhaps I'm going to make the same point again. But what is it to to wake up, you know, in the moment and to be online in a way that I'm I'm not inside of um, my habituated tendencies, you know, and and I think you know you could you could apply this to leadership too, but I'm but I'm you know through presence I'm able to um, kind of tap into life as it wants to emerge, uh, the vocation as it wants to emerge through me. And that it can infuse my 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 words and my actions, and so you know, in a way, like performance is a part of it. It does impact my performance, but that it's also um, it's coming from something much deeper than tips and tricks and stuff like that. And so, let me let me ask a, a, a slightly like I'd love to know like who who are the types of people you coach? I get a sense of that just through the way you're speaking and the atmosphere here, but I'd love to know on a, on a, you know, just for the audience listening, who are the types of people that you're coaching? Um, so I'll put, I'll respond from a very kind of uh, grounded on the ground, earthly marketing aware kind of thing. <laughs> my endemic. <laughs> because of my history as a venture capitalist, my endemic audience is usually startup CEOs, first-time CEOs. So um, I don't remember where it first started. It may have been Brad Feld who first said it, my, my dear friend, the investor. But um, uh, somewhere along the way, I got tagged with the moniker, the CEO whisperer. And I'm sure there are other CEO whisperers out there. So shout out to y'all. Yay. Um, and um, so mostly it's first-time CEOs. Mostly it's of smallish companies growing, uh, but not exclusively first-time CEOs. Um, uh, when you say you, there's me, and then there's a, um, a platoon of humans behind me who are part of Reboot, the company. And we coach primarily in the startup sector, but not exclusively, primarily in the executive suite, but not exclusively. Um, I, I personally have 
clients who are nonprofit executives. I have politicians. I have uh, folks who are uh, investors. Um, so I, I have a, a kind of wide swath of people. The, the common thread is that they are looking to transform. Um, they typically are drawn to the basic premise I have, which is, or that Reboot has, which is that we can use the challenges that leadership presents to us to complete the process of growing up and becoming the actualized adult that we were born to be. Hmm. So um, uh, we like to say that Reboot Coaching is not for the faint of heart. <laughs> hmm. And it's and it and it doesn't really it's not really the uh, the the folks who are interested in improving their sales performance by thirty percent. Now I think you'll relate to this. One of the things that happens is that if you allow the fullness of yourself to come forth as a leader, um, two main things happen. The first is you start to feel better, yay, to feel better, and second you start to perform better. Hmm. And that's not coincidence. But if you do that out of sequence, if you focus on the performance without worrying about how people feel and without going at what's really going on, then you're building a house with a crappy foundation. The hmm. house is going to blow down in the first storm. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I really appreciate that about reading your book, you know, this emphasis on how do you feel really? And, you know, this, this kind of um, self-inquiry, this focus on self-inquiry and seeing how my childhood has conditioned me and informed me and, uh, and how I am as a leader, how I show up in this day and age. And, yeah, I mean, if you think about some of the things that we as coaches are often called into organizations to address, um, it, and, and once you put this, this lens on and you see things through this lens, it starts to become obvious the work that needs to be done. So very common complaint. Company will call and say, the leadership team is stuck. We, can't, we can no longer innovate. Right. And you can come at that from the performance perspective and say, okay, these are the five exercises that you will do to unleash your innovative capacity. And you might do some arts and crafts kinds of things. And you might go out and toss a ball around and you do all these wonderful exercises and they're all wonderful and creativity sparking. But if you're not dealing with the underlying root issue, which is that it's not a psychologically safe place and that uh, perhaps there's a tremendous amount of conflict avoidance, hmm. then you can have all the little Play-Doh exercises you want. But the culture is designed to squash any conflict. And I don't know how you innovate without coming into conflict. Hmm. Now, conflict doesn't have to be bad. It could be, hey, I have an idea. Hey, you have an idea. Let's do my idea instead of your idea. All of a sudden, that's conflict, but not really conflict. 
It just means difference, mm. right? And so you have to unleash and unlock that piece of it in order to create the conditions for the naturally occurring creativity to emerge. Mm. And then there's space for exercises along those ways. Mm. So what kinds of... Um where do you find yourself going with your coaching clients and to help them to, to grow, you know, like do you find there's common, common themes or domains you end up going with them, you know, as in this role yeah. as a, as a horse, you know, a yeah. CEO I whisperer. Mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if we're talking about CEOs, there are some really common threads um, that we'll, we'll encounter. One is uh, around conflict. Mm -hmm. um, there, in my experience, it tends to be two types of uh, embedded reactions to conflict. The first is avoidance, and the second is um, aggressively going into conflict and trying to resolve conflict by dominating. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, both of those create toxic work cultures. Um, so they're, they're toxic for, for the teams and they're also toxic for the individuals. Now, typically what happens is someone doesn't reach out for coaching and say, hey, um, here's the problem. Uh, I'm conflict avoidant and that's creating toxicity in my life and it's making it really difficult for me to say the things I need to say and to live the life I want to live. Typically, they call up and they're in tears and they're saying, help. I don't even know what the hell's going on. I'm just in pain or I've gotten a bad report or I've just finished getting a 360 degree review. And it turns out that I'm driving my team crazy and I'm about to be fired. I mean, typically it's like, we don't go to the doctor and say, here's the problem. You know, my pancreas isn't producing the right, uh, you know, hormones or whatever the pancreas does. We just go in and we talk about the symptoms. And so that's typically what happens is they come in and they sort of lay out the symptoms and the symptoms are usually pain and suffering. Mm. Um, and so then it takes a skillful coach to begin early on to get to the heart of the matter, to use your point before, and if the coach is holding themselves fully present, their capacity to sort of cut through the blather of all the symptoms, right? I mean, it's, it's so tempting. A, a client will walk in and it's so tempting for, for you to follow the thread that the client wants to lay, lay out for you. Let me tell you why my head of sales is the problem. Right, and then you flip the table and you'll say, "Well, who hired the head of sales?" He's like, "Well, me," but I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about how awful that person is. Okay, well, that's actually not really helpful because I can tell you how to fire the person, and we'll do it humanely, and it's, it'd be fine. But then you'll turn around and hire the exact same person again. So, what's more interesting to me is solving the underlying issue, not treating the symptoms. Yeah. 
Uh, I think that's really important. You know, I, I mean, my early days as a coach, I remember like spending whole sessions following the the, the blathering, you know, and then trying to like help them solve the problem. And then, but feeling like, oh God, this doesn't feel good. You know, like this isn't right, but I still, I, and you know, and. Well, well, let's go there for a moment, y'all. When you were there, he's smiling because he knows I'm about to coach him. So if, if, when you were in that space, how confident did you feel in your coaching ability? That's a leading question, not an yeah no i mean it's but it's right it's i wasn't confident and it was in the early days when i hadn't done as much of my deep work you know so there, basically right. what was happening was i was i was in the game of the client you know and, and trying to please them right uh you know right. i want to help them solve the problem then i can be a good coach and be justified right. my money right you know? right but right, actually right, right, that's right, not what right, they really right. want <laughs> Right, right. Well, they tell you that's what, that's what's confusing mm. is because they tell you that's what they want. Mm. But, um, but, but notice what was going on there. Your response was really revealing. It was really helpful. And by the way, I was in the same boat. Mm. Same, I fell into the same trap. And by the way, for those who are not coaches, who are leaders, who are listening to this, leaders will do the same thing, Right. What happens is the person comes to us or we go to them and we're in dialogue and they're filled with emotion and they're presenting the problem. And in my coach school, coach training school, we talked about the presenting agenda versus the secondary agenda versus the tertiary agenda. And it was the more interesting agendas, the deeper you went, right? And the presenting agenda was always things like, I need to fire my VP of sales. And so then, the, in order to feel better about ourselves as a coach or a leader, I'm going to say that again, in order to feel better about ourselves as a coach or a leader, we take the bait and we follow along and we say, great, I'm going to be really smart and tell you how to fire the VP of sales or quote, help you make the decision as to whether or not the VP of sales should be fired. Mm-hmm. And that's great, and that's helpful, marginally. But then you've fallen into the trap. You said it well. It's like all of a sudden you're in there, and you're like, you're feeling now everything that the client is feeling. And you've just left them bereft. Hmm. Because what you've done is inadvertently confirm for them their deepest suspicion about themselves, which is they don't know what to do, and Hmm. they're incompetent. And so now you've taken on the task to be helpful and inadvertently made them feel inadequate or reinforce their feelings of inadequacy. And now you're down the rabbit hole of trying to solve a problem of which you have a fraction of the information that you need to actually be helpful in solving the problem. Yeah. So what, what would you recommend coaches to do? You know, like, of course, we've mentioned presence, but, you know, you mentioned also this secondary and tertiary presenting issue or the issues. So what would you do in that moment? You know, this person's in there talking about they need to fire somebody. How would you get to the heart of the matter? And I know that's very context dependent, so there's not a yeah. one size fits all, but if there are a general, you know, journey Well, what occurs to me is a a memory of something that happened to me, which was early on in my coach training. um, 
uh, and this was an awful experience in terms of just having to go through it. Um, I had many uh, pro bono coaching clients and in agreement with them, we would record the sessions and then I would listen to the sessions mm. with my master coach, with the, the coach who was training me. And I remember one time listening to a session. And by the way, I don't think there's anything more painful than to listen to yourself coaching somebody. Right? So I'll just put that out there. It's like, oh my God, this is embarrassing. I can't believe, look at that question that I asked. Right, okay, so then we're so just listening. And so I'm listening to, to with my, with my uh, uh, teacher. And she paused and she said, okay, stop the, the recording. She said, what's going on right there? And I said, I, I, I don't know, what are, you, what are you seeing? And she said, I want you to take out a pen and paper. So I took out a pen and paper and she said, I want you to write this acronym. WAIT, W-A-I-T. And she said, it stands for, why am I talking? And I want you to put that on a sticky note on your computer monitor. And when you're talking, I want you to simultaneously ask yourself, why am I talking? Which was her way to cut through my internal blather to say, am I speaking in service of my need to feel adequate? Or am I holding myself present and allowing some silence to allow the client to find their own way? Hmm. Um, I will never forget that because it was just the right amount of shame to, <laughs> to cause me to remember it <laughs> forever. On the other hand, I often forget it. So what the hell? <laughs> and the, maybe we could say something about being in silence because um, allowing the client to find their own way because I think you mean that in a particular way, don't you? It's not just like sitting there in silence and, you know, letting the client talk, is it? Or is it? Outwardly, it seems like that, doesn't yeah. it? But inwardly, we are following each path. I think that we're called to do two things simultaneously. One, listen fully consciously with our full body while simultaneously also observing our reactions. So uh, uh, as you were sharing your question, one of the things that was arising for me was recalling the feeling of being inadequate, which then caused me to loop back in and remember that very, very painful coach supervisory session where uh, Martha Lasley, my master coach, said to me, wait, why am I talking? And I was like, oh, fuck. Yeah. Hmm. Thus dragging up all sorts of belief systems about myself that I carried since childhood. Um, and when we're in that moment with a, or as a client, a client will bring up all of that. It's, you know, what I often describe is that um, when the client-coach relationship is working well, the coach's feeling 
almost all of the feelings that the client is feeling. Right. But the difference is that our job is to then have this meta awareness of what is happening to be able to distinguish, oh, that piece of anxiety, that's theirs, not mine. But I'm going to feel it for a while so that I can recall what that feels like with compassion and empathy so that when I do end up breaking the silence and speaking, I'm not speaking from a place of fixing, but I'm speaking as if I were speaking to myself, saying the thing I need to say. A perfect example of what I'm talking about here is I have not, I've never met Doug Silsby. Okay, I did not take his presence-based coaching courses. I have recommended his book countless times. Why on earth, of all the resources that I could have called forth, why on earth did Doug Silsby come into my mind when you and I were talking? Hmm. The only thing I can attribute it to is that you and I were connected. I was present. I was feeling your feelings. And somehow, magically, I was able to reference the one person, probably more than any other coach training person, you needed to hear from in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. That's what's going on in that silence. Yeah. Everything is going on in that silence. And then in that space, do you find that it's like the words are just coming so that you're not in a kind of strategic coaching you know, like, okay, he's saying this. And so, you know, I need to do this now. (laughs) It's just like, there's an attunement and there's a, there's an intelligent response taking place. Yeah. I, I, I wince at the word intelligent. (laughs) There's an intelligence that's actually, or a wisdom that is actually nothing to do with my conscious intelligence. And that's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what I mean. Yeah. It's a channeling. It's, it's, it, and it grows out of the, attunement and the rapport, the emotional rapport that is even possible over thousands of miles through video, through technology, right? Um, it's also on the, on the coach. I mean, you said something really, really powerful there. You said it's, it's, it's not coming from strategic mind, which is when the coach is sort of sitting there plotting out the clever thing that they're about to say in order to feel better about themselves, Right. In that moment, when I mentioned Doug Silsby, um, I, what the feeling I connected to was how important that book was for me in understanding something that was occurring to me. To me, that book connected, and Doug's teachings connected my studying of the Buddhist Dharma with my studying of coaching. That was the link. By my connecting with that, I was able to then Trust my intuition, <gasps> which is one of the most important things that you learn in a coach training program. Yeah. Right. Which is the opposite of strategic mind. And I have trusted my intuition and been dead wrong. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so as a coach, I have to withstand the feeling of being 
of having trusted my intuition only to have been proven dead wrong. That's an awful feeling that at this point I don't care anymore about. But in the early days, it's like, ooh, that just feels really weird. Uh, I think we're in a topic now and, you know, listeners of this podcast will have heard me talk about this kind of thing before, but I think this is in, for me, uh, coaches are being called to work at this depth with their clients uh, to uh, certainly I feel the call and a lot of people in our community do of how can I, I am an instrument, you know, and who, who am I? That is a, an important question, you know, but my body is an instrument. Can I um, develop spaciousness and presence so that I can, so that my very presence becomes transformational in a way and that I'm, I'm able to attune to my client in the way you beautifully described, you know, that I can feel what they're feeling in my body and that then that, that can inform, you know, not strategically, but it can, it can inform the coaching conversation. And, and, and I think, for me, the, you know, you bring in Buddhism. That was it. I, in your story, I, I heard my story a bit. I was a DJ. I was different. I was a DJ in a nightclub and an artist. And one day, I woke up and was devastated, burst into tears, and I just uh, became a Buddhist. I, I sold all my records, became a Buddhist, and traveled India. And, and that was an incredible for me. Following that, that, that the voice of soul or vocation. And anyway, where I'm going with this is that. Who are, who are we really, you know? Like that's one of the things Buddhism pointed me towards actually, mm. that I can increase, I can, I can access something bigger than who I thought I was mm. that can be an incredibly powerful aid or, or, or ground to come from in the coaching that, that amplifies the transformational potential. Mm. So I, I said a lot there and I don't know if it all made sense, but I just want to volley it back to you and, see if that sparked anything in you. Yeah, first of all, it does make sense. And, um, I was curious about, there was a moment uh, I'm following the intuition right now. There was a moment where it felt to me that it was you and I, and then there was a third presence that you seemed to be aware of. Hmm. And that presence was, it was right around the moment where you were talking about having sold all your records. And um, it was just, I had a whiff of criticism. Mm. Does that have any resonance with you? Yeah. Could you, could you say like, like self that I felt yeah. critical of myself? Yeah. Yeah. It, it was kind of, it's go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no, it's good. I mean, um, you know, I, this is what comes up. There's probably mm. other things that will come up, but you know, that, that decision was born out of, um, I don't feel critical of my decision to sell my records, but, but what was true was at the time I, I didn't really like myself, you know, 
Yeah. Um, and I, I'd hurt people. You know, I'm thinking of a, a partner I had at the time who had also hurt a lot. And yeah, I, I, it was a very difficult period. And, 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 you know, I can feel the tenderness here right now. Like, as, yeah. I, as I recall that and uh, that, that, that decision kind of emerged out of the, the grief and, and despair and confusion, I think mostly confusion and frustration. And as I talk about it now, it's like I'm, I'm in touch with the tenderness of that, but also the, the beauty of it. <laughs> It's like I can feel gratitude that, that that experience happened. It's like I can feel my heart, but I can feel my, my, my body, like there's something opening in my body. And there's a, there's a sense of being in touch with that sacredness again, somehow. somehow like, I'm <sighs> noticing yeah. the coexistence of both the tenderness and the awareness of not only the awareness of you perhaps having hurt someone else, but of their pain. And I think that's the ghostly feeling that I had was mm. of their pain kind of floating around that, that, that slight little moment. Ooh, yeah. That really, really touches me. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I can feel, t- you know, Tears in that, like not they're not they're not on the surface, but I can just feel the, whew, the their pain, and, yeah. and the, it's kind of hard to put words on it. You know, it's just like it's very vis- it's very visceral feeling I'm feeling. Yeah, it's not necessarily like I've got a, a worked out map of it all, but it's just like, wow, like I just want to. Yeah, just kind of like let that in and let it move me in tears come and just like, oh. But it, but it feels good too. I appreciate, your, mm. well, I appreciate your allowing me to just pause and recognize that. And, mm. um, I have hurt people too. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the existence of that pain doesn't mean that decisions I have made were wrong. Yeah. But it does mean that um, there's pain. Yeah. Appreciate you saying it like that. Like I've hurt people too, because it's like, yeah, I really hurt her. You know, I really hurt her. That hurts. James Baldwin once said that not everything that is faced can be transformed, but nothing can be transformed until it's faced. Mm. And facing the fact that we, for example, may have hurt people in our pursuit of the calling is necessary for us to transform and move to the next level of our own experience in this meat bag called me. 
Um, we do that not to induce guilt, which is self-referential. We do that to recognize the fullness and where appropriate feel remorse, which is a quality of wisdom associated mm. with it. Yeah. Yeah, I feel that. I feel that in my experience right now. And I, yeah, I'd just like to extend my love to you, Jerry. Um, you know, which might seem like a, on one level, a strange thing to do to someone I've just met, but I feel very moved by our meeting today and I'm grateful that we, we were able to, to come together and share our love of the things in our lives that we love, you know, coaching being one of them. Yeah. Let's, let's share that mutual regard and turn it into a love for the work that we are all called to do. And um, I'll do a shout out to our clients who are brave enough to trust us with their hearts, which I don't think there's anything more precious than that. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, where to end this? Maybe that was it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a delight yeah. meeting yeah. you. And yeah. uh, I really appreciate um, being in a community that deeply appreciates the sacredness of the work. Yeah. Yeah. And I share that love mm -hmm. with you. Yeah. Thanks, Jerry. Hi, it's me again. Hope you enjoyed this. And I want to just say, if you like this podcast, I loved it. I loved it. Uh, I would invite you to share it. If you go to the specific podcast page on our website, coachesrising.com, you'll find the podcast section there. There's a share button. I'd be very grateful because I want to get the word out to as many coaches as possible about this podcast I believe in it, I, I put my heart and soul into it, and I, I believe in the role that coaches can play in these times to help us navigate these times. So uh, if you feel inspired, I'd love it if you would share the podcast. And again, just to mention that if you're not on our mailing list, please consider joining that. If you head to coachesrising.com, you'll also see where you can do that. You can sign up. Hmm. Thanks for listening in. I really appreciate it. I, I, I do. And I appreciate the people that reach out to me and let me know that they enjoy this podcast. Thanks for doing that too. Be well, and I'll see you next time.